I'm so happy to announce the sponsor for this episode of Stories of 29 is Sweaty Betty. I have definitely been one of those people during the past few months that has lived in their leggings, which honestly feels like a second skin. I love that they build their clothes to last. And as they are designed by an all-female team, they genuinely want to empower women to feel free to move about, even if it is just me moving from the sofa to the fridge. So if you haven't tried Sweaty Betty yet, I'd love for you to have the same experience as me. And for 15% off for first-timers, you can use the code STORIES29. To think that if we could just change the industry a little bit and be known for it, that's pretty awesome. I do remember when we changed that law, I was like, I can't wait for my Wikipedia to say, this girl changed a law. Hello and welcome to Stories of 29 with me, Pixie Lot. As you may or may not be aware, this series sees me chatting to actors, musicians and fashion icons about the age that they deem their most memorable and pivotal in their lives and careers. And for our very first episode, I'm very excited to announce my guest this week is Canadian-born supermodel and Queen of Pose herself, Coco Russia. Named Model of the Year by both Elle magazine and Mary Claire, she was also honoured as one of the top 30 models of the decade by French Vogue. Coco's 15-year modelling career has been star-studded and explosive. She has walked the runway for every major designer. Literally, she has changed the industry and changed laws and is known for looking after other models' interests through two of her companies, Nomad and Model Camp, that she runs with her husband, James. Despite her many accolades, her favorite role is that of mum, or mom, as she says, to her two children, Iva and Ione, and has always lived by the truth that success does not need to come at the cost of sacrificing core values or individuality. And I love that. Coco's chosen year was 2010, which, to give you an idea of what was going on, it was the year that Take That fans crashed sites selling tickets for a tour with Robbie Williams. One lucky winner scooped the biggest single lottery win in UK history worth £113 million. And the fashion industry set a trend where it was suddenly cool to wear accessories like tiny Matrix-inspired sunglasses, chokers and clear heels, which is definitely a trend that has come back round again. It was this year that Coco faced media backlash over her weight and for the first time really truly found her voice. It was also the year she and James Conran got married. I absolutely loved chatting to Coco. She speaks of how finding love and the confidence that her husband gave her created the foundations from which she was finally able to use her now very strong voice. She is a refreshingly honest, open and frank figure in the industry and talks as animatedly about her struggles with the media as she does the joys of family time with her kids. And most importantly, as we'll find out, how she did it her way. I loved this chat and I think you guys will too. So let's get cracking. Welcome to Coco Rush's Stories of 21. Hey, Coco. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. Coco is actually dialing in from Westchester, which is just outside of New York. And this is our first international interview. Ooh. <laughs> it's so nice to talk to you because I haven't seen you for I don't even know how long I don't know when it was that we were last in Paris together 
at some random like house party with Ellen Van Unworth. Ah, uh, yes. Alan with that was it. But we fit for everyone listening and we actually, we met at the Scaparelli show, which is like one of my favorite fashion houses at their couture show. And that was, was it last year? Was I feel it? like it would be a year from now. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Time flies, isn't it? How have you guys found this time in in lockdown? And is there anything that has surprised you during this time, like reflection on what you guys have been doing? And obviously, like with the kids, you probably had to do homeschooling and, you know, be on top (laughs) of your game more than ever. So how has it how has it been? Well, early on, it actually didn't feel too different. James and myself, we work together. We're constantly always together. (laughs) And we actually bring our family, our kids, pretty much everywhere we go when we work. So if we go to Paris or overseas, almost all the time they'll be with us. So we're very hands-on, business, family-oriented people. So being at home, we're also very homebody. So we love being at home alone. Oh, bless. They are the cutest little buttons. You guys are like family goals that you travel everywhere together and like you and your husband working together I think it's really beautiful I love it thank you I mean I love what I do as work but my favorite thing is being mom so if I can put them together I think that's amazing yeah super mom definitely a super (laughs) we try we're not always super mom but we try so before delving into why you have chosen the age of 21 as your pivotal year Let's first take a look at your remarkable modeling journey and your career, because if I'm correct, you were scouted when you were just 15 at an Irish dance competition. Is that true? Correct. Yeah. About, I think I was just turning 15, 14 years old at an Irish dance competition. Yeah. Well, I know you're amazing at it because I've seen the videos of you at the Jean-Paul Gaultier show, which I was just like, wow. So you you were scouted at 15 and then you spent a lot of time modeling in Asia and that's where you developed your your signature style where you got the nickname Queen of Pose. That's why you're <laughs> one of my favorite supermodels because you your poses are just like so unique <laughs> and so amazing. Right. And I didn't realize, is that where you, you developed it in, in Singapore? Yes, I went to Taipei and Singapore, both for a few months at a time. And again, this is like early 2000s, so it wasn't like modern looking cool. It was just very cheesy catalog, let's just say. <laughs> so people started to recognize like this girl, she, she poses differently. She even poses a bit weird, but it's also fascinating. And I really thought that's what modeling was all about. I was supposed to give my all. I was supposed to give you a a variety of posing. I didn't think I was supposed to stand there like a zombie against a wall. And so over time, people just kept saying, Coco, do that thing that you do. And now, you know, sometimes I would love to just stand there. (laughs) So yes, I then became called the the queen of pose which i i'll take i'll take it it's it's good to be known for something in your industry that you're good at yeah it's so cool i mean it's like you don't just model it's like a performance and then when you came over to new york it says here that you signed a contract with photographer steven mizell who created a list of clients that you could or could not work with and at the time you said it was one of the craziest times in your career what was that whole whirlwind like and just like, you know, shooting to the top of your game at, the, at that time? 
Yeah. Well, for me personally, I didn't understand what it meant at the time. So it was just kind of go with the flow. If you say this, this supposed photographer, Stephen Reitzel, and you say he's a big deal, then I believe you and I'll, I'll do it. But it wasn't very normal for him to just have this uh, exclusivity on a model for uh, an amount of time. Um, and I didn't realize that his approval uh, meant everything to everyone else. So uh, brands will accept you right away. They don't even have to see you. It's just pretty much this wow. like carte blanche in the industry. And so it was very amazing. It was also fascinating now looking back, knowing what like a normal sort of climbing the ladder looks like as to someone ha- giving you such an opportunity. I I've definitely know how amazing that was for me. So yeah, he worked with me for six months, curating what I did, who I worked with, and and after that, I mean, it it just kind of only helped. But, you know, you can be given some opportunities in life and then you assume that everything will always be grand and, and great. And it depends what you do with it. We, wow. One of my quotes I love so much is from Sydney Crawford. And she says, it's 10% opportunity and the rest, which is 90%, is what you do with it. That's amazing. So is, is he one of your favorite photographers, would you say? Or do you have a favorite photographer? Oh, definitely. I mean, I usually say in any other category, in models, in designers, I won't give like a, a favorite. But this mm-hmm. is someone that gave me a chance when no one else was willing to give me a chance. And also the way he actually treats his models is quite amazing. He came into this industry really having this fascination of models loved like the the just the whole experience of modeling mm-hmm. and I would suggest to anyone to just read up on Stephen Mizell in his early life and career it's quite amazing because you know photographers go in for all reasons but him it was really about shooting models that's the thing that kind of drives him still in his shoots how he treats his models how they're taken mm-hmm. care of so sometimes after my early shoots with him, you, you would go into another photo shoot expecting the same treatment and the same experience. <laughs> yeah, wait, what? What's happening here? I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm from the totem pole. No one, no one seems to care about me whatsoever. So it makes sense why he's on top, how he treats yeah. his, his team. So actually, that brings us nicely on to 2010 and your chosen mm-hmm. age of 21. Fabulous age. 2010 was the year that career-wise you won multiple awards. Marie Claire's Prix d'Excellence, I mean, I'm saying that completely wrong, and 17 Body Piece. You were on billboards in Times Square, wow, and appeared on the Vogue website every day for a month. But what was it about this year that made it so remarkable? That's it. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, well, when you were asking me what what year would I like to uh, ponder on, and I would have to say the, a big reason was I got married in 2010. I was 21 years old when I got married, which is yesterday is my 10 year anniversary. Congratulations! Thank you. That's beautiful. I was I was saying to you earlier before we started. I I watched the video and it just looks so magical. But uh, I just wondered how how you first met. It says here that James was your first boyfriend, um, and Correct. we have that in common because, like me and Ollie, my partner, we've been together for ten years, and we're planning our wedding at the moment. And he's he was my first 
proper relationship. So I feel like we had the we had that in common on that front. But yeah, tell me how you guys met and and how it all sort of happened. Yeah, just as boring as it sounds, we met at a house party in New York. I came from a event, kind of not the Met Gala, but something very fancy. Mm-hmm. And I told the friend that was having the house party, "Is it okay if I just show up in my gown?" And they, of course, was like, "Yeah, no problem, whatever." But James just uh, moved that day to New York and um, was shocked that this. He thought I was Eastern European because I was. He just with this sort of like elaborate dress to a, a house party. He just thought this girl cannot be American. I had a lot of makeup and a lot of hair. And I remember, I don't remember actually meeting James. This is the saddest part. But I do remember giving my hand to this guy like I was a princess. The, and I <laughs> later, like, I just gave my hand to this dude like I was waiting for the royal kiss. I love but that. He remembers that. And he remembered being like, that girl is annoying. I don't like her. <laughs> uh, I don't him. So it was not love at first sight. I was very, I, that's the one thing I know a lot of people today will be like, wow, she's 21, she got married. But again, as a model, we grow up so fast, so quickly, starting at 14, 15 years old. 21 was like being 29 already. And I, know, I don't want anyone to be like, oh, okay, Gogo, so sad for you. You traveled the world. Yes, we, we have a fabulous life. But at the same time, it is a sad life. And you want to share it with someone and you don't get to. So then when you do meet that person, it is, yeah. it, you don't want to let them go. Because it's, yeah. it's definitely been such a better experience sharing this career with James. I mean, James now is my manager. So that's why I said we work together all the time. And these last 10 years were way better uh, than the first few years of modeling. Yeah, it just feels like when you've been with someone for a long time doing all this crazy stuff that your your relationship has so much like roots to it, you know, like really deep and yeah. you know each other so well. And obviously you guys have a beautiful family. Okay, I wanted to ask you just like a few little questions just about like looking back at your chosen age of 21 and what made it so remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it made me think about what really happened around then that would make me pick that year. I remember just growing up in this industry and my body started to change, you know, growing hips, having boobs. And the industry kind of turned on me and said, why are you gaining weight? Why are you what, what's wrong with you? Like, you got to fix this or, you know, we're going to have to get rid of you sort of things. Mm-hmm. And I was so frustrated to think like, am I really all that bad? Like, am I, am I still not delivering? Am I still not Coco that shows up and is like a professional model? And for some reason, this was a huge issue, which backfired on me because then I started to really focus on fitting into this industry, wanting them to still be happy with me. And health-wise, that wasn't okay. Uh, I actually lost my period as a, a, a young girl for one year trying to really fit in perfectly so that I could continue to make everyone happy. But funny enough, I then met this man. His name was James Conrad. And he really made me feel like a beautiful person um, and telling me, you know, you are gorgeous. And I started to have confidence in myself again. Uh, but then I also had at the same point, had this voice. I felt a little more comfortable using it. And I had started using my voice on subjects of predators, explaining how, you know, models should be treated in this industry, whether 
uh, body size, how they should be treated by other people in this industry. And I was shamed for it. I was attacked for it. And I decided, though, it was very important to continue using my voice. This, again, being uh, the cheerleader was James, who was my boyfriend at the time. But then one massive thing happened in my career. I did an interview, kind of like this, mm-hmm. and the the interviewer decided to spin this story and say that I was too fat for the runway. Oh. And I was already happy and proud with my body. I thought I was a good spokesperson for this subject, and I had talked about it a lot. But then for this to be plastered on the front cover of this newspaper magazine, I was shocked. But the great thing at that point was social media... I used this new thing called Twitter and this new thing called Instagram, and it was so taboo. They said, if you continue using this, we will blacklist you in this industry because models are supposed to be untouchable. They're supposed to be this fantasy, and yet you are ruining the fantasy. So then again, 2010 happens. This magazine decides to come out with this very one-sided story, which was not how it came out when I was talking to this individual. But I guess they already had a plan. What they didn't realize was, I also have a plan. I'm going to use social media like no model has used before. But to finally have a model say, oh, no, I'm going to actually tell you my point of view uh, was so different. And it went on morning shows. It was spoken on news outlets here in America. Finally, my side of the story was picked up by all media instead of just this other side. So from that point on, I was very outspoken on things. Really, I found my voice in 2010. I then started to really start working on the subject of predators and changing laws for models in the industry using social media. But again, it was still not looked nicely upon. There was definitely some people in the industry that thought I should still be quiet. And especially when I started to say there was some individuals like Terry Richardson in this industry that should we should start working with. Again, me and a few other models who were trying to speak out were told we will lose our careers if we do something like this. But I just didn't see why that made any sense. Why is this our fault? Why shouldn't this be their fault? Let's go to 2018. Me Too movement appeared. Social media was the reason why people looked into our industry and said, hey, you have predators as well. And sure enough, the predators we were talking about were then all of a sudden banned, removed, Mm-hmm. Uh, told, sort of as taboo and should never have been worked with. And the leaders of this industry said, yeah, you're right. We're going to get rid of them. We'll do it. We're, we'll be the, the warriors. When you think there were so many women out there that were telling you these stories, but no one wanted to listen. Wow. So it, it definitely was uh, a pivotal moment for me that years later, I think, was the subjects we were talking about are subjects we are now talking about again. I mean, wow, thank you so much for not being scared to speak out and having the confidence to do that because it's a, it is hard being in that situation. And did that make you feel frustrated or did it make you feel happy that people were finally talking about what you'd been speaking about? My whole issue is we could have saved a lot of people, a lot of heartache by just being honest earlier. But it seems like every single time some social issue happens to the world, the industry has to pipe up and do something about it or they will look you know, badly upon when they could have just done it on their own in the first place. It yeah. always had been there. And just because some of us thought, hey, this is the time social media is a new platform. Let's kind of use it to help our stories. Yes. 
yet they still didn't want to to pay attention at that point. And still for people to kind of give you this title of whistleblower or like you're the one that's the problem or the cause, that was always frustrating. So am I happy that there was some light shine upon it? Yes, for sure. Uh, But it was just a bit too late. Or if we're not talking about it constantly, if we're not shining a light on it always, is it just going to go back to the way it was before in fashion at least? Totally. And I mean, those like injustices that you've felt and seen in the industry, was that the reason why you wanted to set up your model camp and, and your, your modeling agency? Is that one of the reasons why you and the lovely James, your husband, started that venture? Yes. Well, so a few years after 2010, we realized that instead of kind of pointing to people saying, this is how you have to do it, we thought, how about we change our own little corner instead? Maybe we've got to shift this narrative because this isn't working. People are just getting frustrated with anyone that is uh, speaking out on anything that they're passionate about. So we believe that we had to show them. So first of all, we had decided to create Nomad. Nomad was already an, uh, a mother agency, like a management agency, but we wanted to make it bigger and work as managers that will um, models first, not clients first, but models. And I'm sure you have management teams and agency teams. You felt the when you were being well protected and taken care of and when things were not mm-hmm. for your benefit. And that's yes. the same for us as models. I want models to feel like they have a safe zone with their, their agents and they can come to us with anything. We will believe you. We will do our utmost to make sure that you just have a great career, right? We want it to be ethical management, protect models, put their safety and interests first. So that was one way. And then because we can't manage every model in the world, how can we then help the models to know their rights as models that they can come into this industry feeling prepared, safe, qualified. So model camp, yes, there is pose class. Yes, there's runway class. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the fun stuff. But mm-hmm. there's also just sitting down with these models and talking about the industry on subjects of con- how to read a contract, how to speak to agencies, accounting, social media, branding, and then just the days in, days out of models, like what is your right? And it is shocking how many models don't understand their rights and it's just basic human rights and still they seem to have this warped reason and vision on it so it's been a learning curve for me just learning what other people think our jobs are and what they assume they're supposed to do and also it's definitely been hopefully a great learning curve for these models that come to model camp leaving feeling stronger just yes. way confident. And most of them, I say, if you don't want to be models in the end, you can, all of this still applies as just mm-hmm. a, a businesswoman. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and they must, they must just absolutely cherish everything that, that you say, because you've been there, you know, you've been through it, you know, the, the feeling let down by the industry and then also feeling empowered, you know, being able to have your, find your voice. Do you feel very empowered now, very confident to speak up on anything and encourage all your girls that um, are models at Model Camp and Nomad to do the same? Yeah, I mean, at at Model Camp, it's definitely a safe zone. And when they come, especially, I think they already know my point of view is when they see the age differences. I mean, we have about 25 girls that some camps, the youngest could be 15, the oldest can be 65 years old we've had. 
Um, they see the different races, the different body types. Sometimes they talk about their religious backgrounds. Um, so it is definitely a beautiful safe space, melting pot of just everybody. And they learn from everyone. And if we realize together that there's not one way of being the right model, the right body type, the right woman, there's mm-hmm. so many ways and we should be totally fine with that. Be proud of that. When I go to a shoot or casting and they say, I don't want you realize there's someone else out there that they do want mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, and that you should still be proud of who you are. The, this industry has room for diversity in all forms, age, skin color, belief system, all of it. So wow. I think that by people just seeing what I'm doing at Model Camp without telling them what to do, they already recognize my opinion and my voice. And yeah, when I now go to events and things, although I can say they still might think I'm a whistleblower, <laughs> I know I can hear the whis- the whisperings of, there's Coco. She's the one that, and yeah, I am proud of the one that did all sorts of things. I mean, in 2013, after having the confidence in 2010, mm. we decided to change a law with a, a few other models that helped protect underage models. There wasn't this law in hand ever. And now we put it into place. Did people hate us for it? You bet. There are people that still think it's so frustrating that we've created this law to ultimately take care of kids. And they didn't like it. But now for people to realize, hey, this is a girl that demands change, wants change. And also when I work, I, I feel like I deserve the respect that anyone else deserves. Hopefully I can help a few models then that can help a few other models. And we have this good ripple effect where finally we realize, hey, we don't need to be treated this way. We don't need to feel this way. And we can we can model the way we want to model. Yeah. You've done so many amazing things, amazing shoots, worked with like the best photographers. But to you, like the most rewarding, would it be your model camp and boosting confidence of girls and also, you know, getting laws actually physically changed. Yeah. To think that if we could just change the industry a little bit and be known for it, that's pretty awesome. I do remember when we changed that law, I was like, I can't wait for my Wikipedia to say this girl (laughs) changed a law that could not be changed years before. But um, it was shocking. My first shoot after that law Someone pretty much yelled at me in front of everyone. There's a team of 50 people saying what you did was unacceptable. And you just, you were a traitor to your own industry. And the stories you tell and all you other girls tell is just fake. And it was, I was shaking on that set. I had to walk off. And I remember saying, I'm not actually going to come back until this person is removed. And instead of the photographer and team saying, hey, you know what? You're right, Coco. Let us. That was so disrespectful. They turned around and said, if you don't come back, we will sue you. So even though these people were proud of me for what I did, in the end, it didn't, they were not going to get rid of a bully. And so I still realized that we had a long ways to go and we still have a long ways to go. But like I said, 21 years old, I found my purpose. Yeah. Beyond taking nice pictures, which I'll continue taking nice pictures. That's fine. (laughs) I definitely want to be known for more than just that. Totally. I mean, you're just, you're so much more than just, yeah, taking pictures. And I think that's what's so incredible about your career so far. And, you know, it seems like you're saying you've still got work to do. You're still on a mission and there's, there's so many more years to come. You know, social media is amazing. And, you know, there's negative sides to it that people always talk about, but there is so many positives to it. And I think that is definitely one of 
the biggest positives, which is, you know, giving people a voice, you know, to tell their side of the story. Agreed. I mean, it's fun to put filters on your face and, you know, (laughs) get Facetune, get it cute. But in reality, I always say to new models, that it's like you're given a huge megaphone and you might as well have something worthwhile to say instead of just pictures of the food you eat and the shows you you watch, which again, totally acceptable. But there are times when I'm like, what if your microphone, what if your megaphone was taken away from you tomorrow? Did you say enough when you did have it? Yeah. I mean, like you said at the start when the industry said, oh, you know, you shouldn't be talking on social media models. You know, they should stick to being in front of the camera and taking pictures. But now it seems completely not like that as in brands you know when you're working with brands now they want you to post on Instagram and they want you to work with social media alongside the campaign Um, but it seems like they didn't want that at all at the start so it's like it just takes them a while to I guess like catch up or see it now. Yeah and that's the thing if they took them that long to understand social media how long is it going to take for actual social issues in this world? So they are slow to change. As much as this industry will always say they are so forward-thinking, they are very slow to change. Yeah. I've actually, first of all, I wanted to ask before we move on from social media completely, do you think that there's ever a point on social media where you can share too much? Like what's the fine line between not enough, too much, or do you think too much is never, you can never have enough? Mm -hmm. It's now work. (laughs) So (laughs) this doesn't feel as authentic or fun as TikTok. That's what's so great about it right now. It's meant to be humorous. Well, actually right now it's kind of, you know, it definitely has helped in sharing voices and opinions right now. But when I started, it felt like it was very about humorous, like keeping it light. And there's not many rules about it. Instagram and Twitter and everything has their own definite uh, rules and like if this works this doesn't work so yeah it has always felt very much like work it needs to be done you have to use it and that that annoys me because what used to be just kind of this easy fun space is now definitely like a business space and there's also the other scenario of trolls there's critics out there and it's very you'd think that it's high school half the time Mm -hmm. um and yet These are grown humans that will tell you that how you uh, mother your children, how you do business, your belief system is wrong. Uh, It's just so crazy that adults are sharing these opinions with other adults when you think there's so much else you could be doing in your life. And yet here you are wasting it on me. Yeah, I've never I've never understood that. Would you say you have any big regrets in your life so far or do you or do you think we can all learn from challenges and setbacks? Yeah, I mean, both. You can regret it, but know that you're probably learning from it as well. My early regrets were, you know, feeling forced into doing shoots that I didn't feel comfortable doing. I have a very long list of the way I want to be shot. And I mean, not like the color red looks good against my skin. It's more (laughs) like I don't shoot nude or semi-nude. I don't shoot sexual sort of Mm -hmm. oriented images. The most mistakes are because you tried something, but it's okay to fail so long as you learn from it. So I'm not going to put too much pressure on myself. There's definitely days where I'm like, oh, that's so frustrating that I went through that. But 
I can't always blame other people because I didn't necessarily use my voice. And that is one thing I say to anyone in any business field. But usually I find it's the younger creatives where they feel like they want to please everyone. They they realize that they didn't even please themselves. So So that's where I went wrong a few times. Yeah. Was that before 2010 was when that? Yes. when When I felt like I was forced to do things that I didn't want to do was previous to 2010. Once I had sort of this cheerleader, if we say James is my cheerleader in the back corner or sort of to encourage me to help me, I then felt more uh, confident in being able to demand things. I actually do remember in 2010, my first photo shoot after being married, mm-hmm. I had a shoot for LUK and the photographer asked me to to kiss the male model. And mm-hmm. I was like, before I was okay, you know, before being married, but this was the first time being asked as a married woman. Mm-hmm. I never had this conversation with James. It wasn't something like, this wasn't a husband being like, you will not do yeah. that. I was like, I, I don't actually, I don't know if I'm going to do that anymore. Like that day I decided I'm not going to do it anymore. And the yeah. photographer was trying so hard to get me to do this. And I remember his silly response to me. He was like, oh, it's just like kissing your brother. I was like, well, first of all, sir, I don't kiss my brother. So, <laughs> um, second of all, it's a no from me. And he listened. He, I mean, it annoyed this photographer so much that I didn't listen. But that was the first time I didn't feel like I was a bother. I was like, no, that's my right. I don't need to. And I'm not going to walk away feeling like I've just ruined a shoot. If you need that from someone, you can get someone else to do it, you know. And then realizing I'm going to set more of these like rules so that these photographers know exactly that I'm not just showing up kind of arbitrarily saying, hey, yeah, today I'm not going to kiss a guy and today I'm not going to do this thing. I decided I needed more of a, a list for them so that they also felt they understood my boundaries before I came yeah. on set. That's great. I love that idea. Do you feel like, you know, after you started using your voice and you found your voice, it got even easier to use it with every time? It definitely is easier when it's subjects you're comfortable with. If something just kind of is thrown at you where you're like, whoa, I've never had this experience. That's where I can say anyone can agree. It's very, it's much harder. Um, But if you already use your voice in uh, different arenas, I can't see it being that that hard it's like you know your voice is a muscle that you have to exercise so if you're mm-hmm. you're not using it yeah it must be much more difficult so yeah there isn't one job that can dictate if I'm going to work again or not you know so that's what I think a lot of people think if I don't do this I'll be blacklisted I will never work again and that's not the case yeah so true moving on to the present day I'm always really interested in the morning routines of everyone and I just wondered if there's if there's anything you do every morning to start the day which is non-negotiable or like a routine that you get into or something that you do that empowers you and it like starts the day off really great I wish um (laughs) you know running to the first child who's usually Ivor who's two he wakes up around 6 37 and then trying to hopefully not wake up big sister but usually we do. And then we rush upstairs and, you know, have breakfast. There's the routine of taking care about the kids. Always. Me, there is no such thing. I am always amazed when I hear these moms and power to them and no judging. But when they're like, and then I get up my creams and my mask and I take my 25 minutes to do this and that. I'm like, I, again, I didn't even take my mascara off last night. It was all over my face this morning. <laughs> they're definitely... Um, 
moms that have degrees of things that they decide like, nope, this is what I have to do for me to make my sanity, to take care of me, to clear my mind. Um, but weirdly enough, I'm that weird mom where to clear my mind, to make me happy, to do all that is just to be around my kids as tiring as it is. I think the only time where I'm like, oh, this is nice, where I take a break for myself is putting them to sleep. And I know like, all right, now I have like an hour where I can watch TV or something, Mm -hmm. eat a bowl of cereal. That's usually my routine is like, I get to have lucky charms now. (laughs) That's just in the house because there's children here. (laughs) (laughs) But is, is, do you find it, do you find it hard juggling everything? It's like the super mom and like, your amazing career and all the stuff you're doing with with James or do you go with the flow but like have the the end goal in mind I've never been one to have these big goals we're not those type of people that uh, have these plans uh, because plans sometimes they just never occur and I don't want to um, frustrate ourselves with like oh I wasn't, I mean, for example, I have friends who are like, I wasn't married by the age of this and didn't have children at the age of that. But you experience life differently and you had these great opportunities. So I tried to to just go with the flow, if you want to say, and mm-hmm. then we have some major ideas that we 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 pan them out. We tried to, to, to create them and make them happen, but mm-hmm. things way in the future, I just don't know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, never mind yeah the next year have you always lived your life like that do you think I think so yeah I mean I like to think we're organized and we are organized to a point but this sort of way of living that isn't an org I know to most that is not an organized way of living you should have it planned you should have everything scheduled but then you have way more surprises in life yeah and I think that's a lot more fun than being like, yeah, I expected this. This is what I, I wanted. And that just actually brings me to setting up weddings since you're in this like mind space. This yeah. is the one, thing, and this is a perfect example. So many of my friends, they would take months and years to plan their weddings to like the tiny spoon on the <laughs> table. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but I we had three months to come up with our wedding and we decided to tell them the color scheme tell them the venue and told them our like design of our dresses. After that, I gave the woman that, that owns the chateau that we, we yeah. had our wedding, told her, go ahead and surprise us. And so every single experience at that wedding was a surprise to us. And I loved it. We, we think that you should leave space for unexpected things to happen you want to be surprised. And I mean, like when I went down to James, it was a surprise. When I opened the doors mm-hmm. to see the venue, they surprised us with outside, having our cake with under fireworks. Oh. It was all a surprise. So that's what I mean in life too. It is okay to plan things, but when when it's overly planned, you know what to expect and you're not as excited as if you just let a little surprise in your life. That's so true. I mean, yeah, it's sort of like your your wedding is like a metaphor for how you live your life then, really, generally. I, I guess so. But, you know, you can plan all the fun and spontaneity in a out of an event like a, a wedding. And, uh, you know, trust me, then after the day is done, you're like, wow, it's only just 24 hours and now it's yeah. done. Goes so quickly. That is so brave, though, because I know a lot of brides getting married that would not trust someone with doing all of that. But your wedding looked absolutely perfect. So it doesn't seem Thank like anything, anything. I just think if people are good at their job, then expect them, you know, we should give them the, 
decency of believing they can do it. So when someone expects me to be a good model, give me the decency of actually proving I can do it. Just like you are a great singer. I've never been a singer in my life, so I don't know where (laughs) the challenge is. But for me, I show up and they will start to literally manhandle me and put me into a position because I just don't think I'm qualified enough to actually give them the pose or whatever. I mean, I'm giving like the silliest example, but it does frustrate me because I'm like, wait, why don't you just do it instead? So we always say give people the room to to be great. I love that. I think that's a, a great way to live. Thank you so, so much for coming on this podcast because your stories are so inspiring and so empowering. And you've left, you've certainly left a legacy with literally having changed the law and helping so many girls and women and and boosting their confidence, which I think is just incredible. I've just got one last question that I close each episode with. And I always ask my guests, how they'd like to be remembered and what they'd like their lasting legacy to be? Ooh, that is like <laughs> an epic question, but I guess I did it my way, as Frank Sinatra said. Mm. I was told so often in my career at the beginning that if I don't do it this way, it won't work. If I don't do it that way, I will not be successful. If I continue this way, it's, it's a problem. And those sort of motivated me, although frustrated me at times, motivated me going, I bet you there's more than one way to be a great model. And I hope I prove that. I hope people look at my example and say, yeah, she did it her way. And it seemed like it worked out for her. I've had some ups and downs. But in the end, I always say to people that you want to leave an industry if you decide tomorrow you're done. I don't want to perform anymore. I don't want to model anymore that you can at least say, I am still the same person that entered into this industry. Although probably a little wiser, a little older, smarter, hopefully, but you are still ultimately the same person, that same person that came in with the same values and morals and you you leave happy. So that's how I want to be recognized, but also just personally how I want to feel. And I think I have done it my way. 100%. Honestly, you're amazing, Coco. Thank you so much. You're beautiful you. inside and out. And um, I know a lot of people are going to be inspired who who are listening. Oh, and I can't wait to see you in actual person life because I can see your little smile. You're always so smiling and bubbly <laughs> and sweet human being. So I can't yeah. wait to one day, hopefully, see you in real life. I mean, I can't wait either. I don't know where, where it will be, if it will be Paris Fashion Week or over in New York or in London when we're allowed to travel again. Who knows? But hopefully it is. Hopefully it will be soon. Thank you, Coco. Oh, thank you. Thank you so, so much for listening. Once again, if you like the show, then please rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the show and absolutely makes my day. Thanks so much and we'll see you next week for another Stories of 29. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Sweaty Betty. Sweaty Betty is special because all of their products are made by women for women who exercise and are passionate about movement. They are one of a kind. So make sure you go and check them out over at sweatybetty.co.uk.